What up, y'all? This is Amani, and you are now listening to The Ville Radio Show on Pure Radio. What up, y'all? It's your boy, Big Phil, and we're back on The Ville Radio Show. Yes! All day, every day. Listen, today's show is going to be an open discussion that we'll share with our church on Sunday about the Just Gospel. It's a, a conference called The Front Porch, where we want to learn about a just gospel being preached, a gospel that is free, and a gospel that is open to not only white evangelicals, but to our black leaders and theologians as well. It really sheds some light on what we're doing in the context of how we are, uh, our church is built. We want y'all to check it out. We'll see y'all next week as we continue part two on racial division in the black church, and racial division in the church, period, right here on the VL Radio Show. Yes! So, how does the gospel and justice actually align? How do, how do they relate to each other? And if we're going to understand anything about justice and the gospel, it has to be rooted in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So, in Isaiah 59, the Lord looked down and he wondered how there was no man to intercede. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Basically, God sees the world and that it's unjust and that there's no human there to intervene and actually intercede for the people that the injustice is happening to. But the good news of the gospel, of course, is that the Lord actually sent a man to intercede named Jesus Christ and that his reign would actually one day establish justice here on earth. In Isaiah 42, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. So we know this person, his servant that's coming as Jesus Christ. When Jesus came and he was preaching his inaugural sermon, and he was basically announcing his mission statement for why he was doing his ministry, what was the purpose of his ministry here that he came from heaven to earth, he said in Luke 4.18, he said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. You see, justice is at the center, the very center of the ministry of Jesus. A lot of us think of ministry in a lot of ways, but the way Jesus was actually thinking of ministering here on earth was in the core idea of justice. And Jesus left his ministry after he ascended into heaven to be carried out by his hands and feet here on earth, which is the church. And so we anticipate and we actually testify to the universal reordering of new creation. Jesus established something new, a new kingdom. And we actually get to push forth that kingdom and we're anticipating to the day when everything is just again, when there's full shalom. So one of the guys at the conference, his name was Micah, he said this, and I wrote it down. The Lord's reign of righteousness is characterized by restoring the disinherited, 
protecting the vulnerable, establishing the conditions that promote human dignity and flourishing. Basically, we're all called to establish a social righteousness. The things that are wrong, we are called to make it right. And we are called to have right relations, make right relations, starting within our covenant community, the church. All these broken relationships, how do we make it right? And not only here, but then beyond in the world. So a great definition of justice is this. Justice is protecting and restoring the equitable and dignifying rights of God's image bearers, especially the most vulnerable. We see that in Isaiah 1, 17, and it, it talks like this. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. And when you translate that, it could also be translated as correct the oppressor. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So the last point I want to make is this before we bring everybody up. Um, to know God is actually to do justice. I want you all to think about that. To know God is to do justice. When um, God was speaking of King Josiah, the Lord said through Jeremiah, he said this, he judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? You cannot express a life that truly represents knowing the Lord unless you take up the cause of the poor and the needy. You can't, you, you basically, at the end of the day, you cannot claim to love God while simultaneously refusing to love his image bearers. So we actually demonstrate our outwardly, we, we, dis, we dis, dis, demonstrate, demonstrate, we demonstrate outwardly, that's right, our true inward disposition towards God by how we establish, defend, and protect the rights of his most vulnerable image bearers. With that said, with that foundation, I want to bring up all the people I mentioned before, my fellow conference attendees, and we're going to discuss more about how the Spirit was moving with us in the past few days. So we're going to welcome up, where are we at? We're going to welcome up Jay, Alana, Jalen, Big Phil, my beautiful wife, Jennifer, and our adopted daughter, Lois. All right, let's give them a clap. Let's bring them up. Just give us one second as we get settled. Ladies always on time. Gentlemen, falling behind. All right. Lewis, you want to take my chair? No, I'm just playing. <clears throat> Is there a Miss Shirky in the house? All right. I got a special seat for you. Okay, so all of us here went to this conference, um, the Just Gospel. No, no, we are one. We are both pastors. Right. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I guess the first question I want to ask you guys, and anyone can kind of jump in, is do you want to switch? Do you want to sit next to your wife? Do you want to sit next to your wife? 
You want to play musical chairs? All right, cool. So let's do this. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. Oppressed. Right. Lana, you come people. here. I'll oppressed. Come here. Single okay. people. You okay. Lois is oppressed. <laughs> marginalized. Marginalized. This is marginalized. Okay, cool. All right, so the first question is, where were you all encouraged at this conference? What was said at the conference that actually encouraged you guys? General question, anyone can step in. I'll start. Um, I think the thing that was most encouraging was the whole conference in general and the premise behind the conference. Uh, the conference was, uh, the title of it, I don't know if you said that, was a just gospel. And so a lot of times when you talk about social justice issues, people begin to tell you, oh, you know, just need to preach the gospel. Um, and they really hit on the fact of when you preach the gospel, the gospel is a justice. It, it is justice all throughout the gospel. So uh, there's not just preaching the gospel, but we need to preach a just gospel. And so I think that was most uh, encouraging that the whole premise of the conference and every speaker was that justice is all throughout the gospel. You cannot separate the two. Um, I thought it was encouraging because I just thought that in comparison to Jacksonville, because I have such a narrow experience here, that Atlanta just seemed so much, like there was just so much more light of the gospel um, in justice-oriented gospel. And they were talking about how discouraged they were and just thinking like, because wow, coming back to Jacksonville, I feel like we're more in the dark. There's more people that I'm interacting with who just don't understand a lot of, in my opinion, the lacking of justice being held up in the gospel is true. And being in Atlanta, it was like, wow, so many people get it. For me personally, it was encouraging to be in a room with a thousand people feeling like I was being taught because they were like miles ahead of me. It's like, thank, thank God someone's leading the way and like God's really here and he really is making change and he really is showing up. That was encouraging for me. Cool. Yeah, I, I think one of the things um, that I left encouraged was, um, like in my mind, if I could paint a picture of what we looked, what we saw at the conference was, um, was basically the um, black church, because it was all pretty much black church leaders for the most part. There was some diversity there, um, but as far as how the, the conference was put together and who was leading it, um, I felt like it was the um, black church grieving, um, not just making its case, but making a case for the gospel and how the separation that we have in the church is actually um, heretical and a grievance to God's heart. Um, and so I thought that was a really, really big deal to hear the case being made from such a pure standpoint. Um, even though I know a lot of them feel trampled down in a lot, a lot of ways, but they were still pushing for the gospel in a lot of senses. And so I think, um, I think for me, like one of the things that really, really impressed on me was like kind of what you're saying, Jen, how much in our city we don't, we can't even appreciate what a miracle like this church is. Like a lot of those guys that were actually on the board or whatever, like they 
are longing to see reconciliation happen racially inside of the church because they believe it's the picture that God is painting um, and that's what's in the scripture and justice and everything else. But a lot of them haven't even been able to have their counterparts come to the table to start working towards reconciliation. So as I'm sitting there, it made me appreciate what a miracle this is that God has put together, not because we're good, but by his sovereignty, he actually, you know, birthed this church out in this city, which is hyper racist on so many levels and divided on so many levels. And, um, and, and God saw it fit to do this right here in Jacksonville, but also grieved kind of in the middle of that too, because I'm like, we don't actually know how to appreciate what it is. Um, and the reason the church got broken in the long story and the narrative was because leaders at a certain point accepted things that were um, heresy to the gospel concerning race. And also they didn't steward their position. And so it all, it kind of poked me in the sense of how we in the church, I'm talking about leaders onto lay members and everybody who's a part of this church, how we really need to be really awake um, and really um, fierce in how we protect what God is, is doing in our church as far as it being multicultural. You know, other churches have experienced, um, you know, multi multicultural kind of fruit, but to be able to have that and have real conversations is a whole nother story. And so I think it's, uh, I don't think we realize how sweet and precious of a gift it is that God has, has given us. So that's something we definitely want to lean in going forward, you know? Yeah, because Jay, you, I wasn't in the session you were in, but um, I heard you made some waves pointing out some inconsistencies about the state of reconciliation yeah. when they were talking on stage. Yeah, so it, one of the, so um, there was a panel with two, uh, you know, really big, really known pastors, and one of them he calls he, he calls you know multicultural church. He uses the the term transcultural, and he was and he's really I believe with them that we need to really fight for a unified church. Um, and this guy is he's scarred up in the battle. He told a story about how. After the Michael Brown situation, he stood before his church and he said, uh, he said, um, you know, listen, you know, we need to learn how to weep with each other or whatever. He didn't really make a case on whether Michael Brown was uh, right or wrong in the Ferguson killing or anything like that. He just said people are hurting, um, whether you understand it or not. You know, we need to just weep with each other and everything. And he said that uh, did he say 150. He said 150 of his white members left the church just over that statement. Um, and he was like, I didn't say you're wrong or the kid was right or he wasn't, you know, he didn't commit a crime. I just said people are hurting and they're, and they're receiving this story from different angles. So make sure you love each other through it. And so, you know, whether y'all know it or not, this church has gone through a tremendous warfare in even getting to the unity. Some of y'all have come in on the story or whatever. And you kind of see what is in the room, but there's been some grievous, harsh conversations, confrontations, repentance has been huge, repentance and forgiveness for us to even have any of the unity we have. And, um, and, 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 and we haven't made it by any means, but I, I believe in that. And as a pastor, it's one of the places that I intentionally lead this church with everybody else up here. But the, there was another pastor at this conference, and sorry I'm taking so long. There was another pastor at this conference who's actually from this city. Um, and when they were having the panel discussion, these two men, the other pastor who has a, a, a you know, a homogenous black church, right, um, he was like, yo, why should we fight for 
um, unity with people who don't want the unity. Like I got enough problems going on in my community and you know, so it is what it is. Well, I understand that, that, that that's the, that's the other response to where my heart is at. Right? So my response is to fight for unity. But when you feel smack spit in the face or you feel like you're trying to point out sin to people who don't want to hear it, you want to go that way. And so I caught that tension in their conversation. And later I brought the conversation back up to them in another discussion. And I said, yo, people, I said, we're in what you're talking about. So I need to know who was wrong or right. Like, are you, do, you, do we lean to your side and fight for unity or do we lean to my man's side and go, well, it's just hard and just and just throw in the towel and we go to our all white churches or our all black churches. And he was like, the other guy's wrong. He said he's wrong because God is making a people out of every nation, every tongue. That's where this is actually going. And he said, so we need to fight for it until the end of time because it's biblical. And um, so that was extremely, that was encouraging for me yeah. because sometimes you feel like a fool in the middle of it. And, you, you, and that comes from, that comes from relationally with white pastors. It comes relationally with Black pastors, they're like, yeah, that's cute, Jay. You know, go ahead yeah. and kill yourself, brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was good to hear him give biblical context on why fighting for unity is so important. Yeah, and I felt like that was also encouraging for just our church, like you said. Absolutely. Like, we're encouraged that we're pursuing something that's a biblical mandate. But then also, like, for that man's church, he didn't even say anything. All he said was weep with those who weep, which is scripture, yeah. literally quoting scripture. And 150 white people left. And they said he was not preaching the gospel anymore. Right. Yeah. And just the idea that, like, in some ways, our church is further along by the grace of God, that we can actually have even much harder conversations than that, and people still come back to the table, yeah. which is which was encouraging. Um, what about the Burks? What did y'all feel? Um, for me, it it was um, amazing because it made me see how our leaders here at the Image Church, I'm sorry, the Ville Church, RIP. RIP, RIP, Image, RIP. But here to the Ville Church that, um, that our pastors are, like what the panel was preaching on and teaching on, that our pastors here are mirrored, like the information that they're giving was the same as us. We came back and we were listening to, shout out to the Ville Radio, um, and everything that they were talking about was what they talked about at the conference. And it's like, man, y'all y'all prophets, uh, prophetic. And it's like the information is just like amazing because it is the grace of God that they are still able to still give this information, especially in a city like Jacksonville. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> just very, very encouraging. Um, but at the same time, just sobering coming back home because um, we... <laughs> We have a long way to go in the Ville Church, but as a city of Jacksonville, we have a very long way to go. And um, and I just, you know, um, what everybody has said is very encouraging, and I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but I just don't want us to assume that we are, we got it together. When you leave this place, don't leave this place as if, you know, hey, we doing it. No, this is going to be a walk, a process. This is going to be constant conversations and really loving and persevering with each other through culture, through uh, just understanding, convictions. And um, it was, um, it, but 
out of all of that, it was very encouraging just to know that, hey, you know, um, I was having a conversation with Jay. It was encouraging to know that I wasn't losing my mind, that these things that they were thinking, I mean, these things that they were talking about, you know, I was going through, he was going through, Jeremy is going through, and it was just good to know that we were not on this island alone. Sometimes this context of how we're doing church, it feels lonely. And I have my own battle and my own personal griefs or sometimes that I have to um, allow God to, um, you know, chisel out of me and work in me that, you know, I just be like, man, I just want to go back to what I, what I can do best. And that's black church. But that's, I know that's not God's will for my life. That's not God's will for my family's life. So um, it was very encouraging just to know that there's people out there rocking with you. And, you know, this is something that God is designed for. So, And I was encouraged by um, just all of the knowledge that they gave about justice being God's plan and racial reconciliation being God's plan because, you know, um, we talk about it a lot, but to understand that we all started out as one nation. We started out as one people. And the reconciliation is going back to everybody loving each other and everybody caring about the oppressed, caring about the needy. That's racial reconciliation is um, just caring about your 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 brothers i mean it's the it's the second it's the second thing it's the it's the second yeah yes yeah, the commandment it's the second one that jesus said you know love him and then love everybody and that connection that they made with basically the end of the gospel is a trans um transcultural community of christ and just to hear that and understand that this is the mission was what encouraged me the most. Yeah, and I mean, there, I don't know, is there any biblical scholars up here besides Lois? No. Can, well, can I, can I add to that really quick? Yeah, I was only going to say this, that what, going off what you said, I mean, these are like PhD, biblical, like solid, like amazing scholars. And they're, fi they're, they're not trying to put stuff into scripture. Yeah. Like they are exegeting out of scripture these ideas, and so it's just so, these aren't cute ideas, yeah. you know, it's not like, oh, peace, love, and hope in the world, we're going to do fun stuff, it's like, no, this is the hard work of actually pushing the gospel forth, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I, I think what was really important about it was to understand that working towards a transcultural community is actually priority in the gospel. Um, I think that we have to say it like that and understand it like that, because everything else ends up being some form of a distortion of a gospel community. So, you know, the one of the things they really got into was the black church was formed out of the heresy that was happening in white Christianity in America. And so basically what you had going on was a Christianity that said that other humans were not fully human. And so where there was there was no longer room for us to do do church in unity so then you had to have black church um it was necessary for that to happen but at the end of the day neither one the white church or the black church stand as the intended 
as the fruit that God paints a picture of in the Bible. So whether it was necessary or not, you know what I'm saying? It's like if you if you if you if you pop a tire in your car and you can only get to the used tire spot, you got to go do what you got to do. But when you can, you want to throw a brand new one on it. You get where I'm coming from? And so with this 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 thing in the church, we've had to do what we've had to do, but God's intended plan is a transcultural community that gives him glory. And it's so significant. It's always been significant. And it's all, all, but right now it's crazy important because the world is looking at us right now. The, um, the credibility of the church is going out the window ASAP. And one of the reasons that one of the things that's lending a helping hand in that is our separation um, racially in the church. It's ridiculous. So we're preaching a, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that, that declares his love and mercy over yellow, black, white, brown, Asian, whatever you want to call it. But when we come to church, we split up because we can't tolerate each other. And we're not walking. Then we talk about the love of Christ, which is, pa- which is patient and kind and gentle and all of these beautiful fruits, right? But we don't actually lavish each other with them. So you have to ask at the end of the day, are we rich with the mercy that we've received and are we lavishing people with it or are we actually very poor and have nothing to offer people, nothing that can actually sustain us, um, you know, in a unified way or whatever, you know, through the power of God. So it, the, it, it by nature ends up pointing to where we really at with him. And, and, and I think we have to take the responsibility of being, um, of repenting for the disdain we give to our father by not loving our neighbor next to us. And so, yeah. Well, Jen, hey, what's up? I don't think I was praying. I'm sorry. Okay. There's nothing back there. Cool. Um, hey, so we drove back for like five hours after Atlanta. So we had a lot of time to talk um, and talk and talk and talk. Uh, but you were saying that you were really hit by just the stuff they were saying um, about the historical church and things you never thought about before. I didn't know if you wanted to share your thoughts about that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you want to? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right now. Not really. Um, um, goodness, I'm like looking at Jay, like, talk through me. Um, <laughs> so I, it, there was a specific... I can't help you now. <laughs> You're on your own. Your fault. Um, there was a specific panel that talked about the black church and there was a specific speaker um, who was amazing, and he was just like, he started off like, when people ask me why there needs to be a black church, he's like, immediately I'm like, you don't know. You've just shown your cards that you do not know and you do not understand. You have not asked the right questions. And immediately I'm like, okay, well, I've probably asked that, and I don't think I've sought it to its depth. And... um He basically, it was just a humbling experience. I won't say what he said. It was, you know, super long-winded. He eventually, like, said sorry. Um, So I can't. But um, going to the conference was extremely humbling. I went through Teach for America's program where they made me look at racial history in Jacksonville before I taught. Racial history in regards to education, economics, um, disparity law, and it never touched on religion because it's not a religious organization. Um, and, but I am religious, and so I learned all this stuff. It's making me so mad. I'm, like, getting in fights with my own family members, thinking I'm doing it. Uh, and I, I, I 
got a lot of um, my racism exposed this weekend because every week <laughs> I'm like, never mind. I thought I had it. I don't. Um, in that I never, I think I assumed that the reformed theology that I ascribed to was a white theology. And I don't think I consciously thought that. I just operated in my, my own world and I listened to white theologians and I came to Jacksonville and um, I didn't meet a lot of black theologians. I met Jay, who I think is, knows more than me and I learned from him. Um, and Uh-oh. he is a theologian. <laughs> I've never I mean, heard like, that one before. Oh. There you go. <clears throat> Going to Atlanta was humbling because I was in a room with a thousand people who were saying words I did not understand because they were so smart. And they were telling me my theology on a higher level, and they were teaching to me in a way that I've never been taught as well. And they were black. And they were telling me that my theology I ascribed to came from North Africa. And I'm like, I just realized, like, not, I had never put conscious value on me thinking that my religion was based out of people who looked like me. I never thought of it. But it was humbling to realize that it was not from people who looked like me. And in that unconsciousness, I was somehow standing unknowingly on a little pedestal when I was operating in my day-to-day life. And it was, I think it, I think it just smacked me down from a place I didn't even know I was standing on. And I think it exposed a little bit in me that when I came into the Ville and I was talking to people, I think it was kind of like this like missional thing, like black and white. I think I thought I had a little something to give. But I think it made me felt like this community, I had something, you know, I was just kind of, I was giving back to a community, didn't know this great theology. And all of a sudden, I'm just sitting there like, my Lord Jesus, forgive me. Like these men have preserved the gospel from a heretical church they have faced opposition. They have faced a church that has, in many ways, in small or large sectors, tried to push them out. And in defense of the gospel, they, they, they kept it and they put it in a church that right now might look predominantly black. But the idea that this was something that came from us and they're, they're just learning it because they're in our country now three, 200, 300 years ago is just so... It just smacked me down. I have like my face on the ground, like, I'm so sorry. I'm learning from these men. Like, thank you for keeping the gospel and keeping it true and fighting and, and loving us and not giving up on the truth of the gospel, which is full reconciliation. Because I think I would have given up and I would have been like, bye, y'all. It was humbling to be taught by these pillars of the faith and to be, to be shown for the first time that this is not my religion and to be taught on such a high level and realize that my white evangelical background has actually caused so much intentional pain and that their background has actually in many ways better preserved a gospel that fought for a, a people that was pushed down and marginalized to be loved well. And they said, this isn't a gospel you're preaching to the point that we have to go because we have to preserve it for what Christ wants it to be. I never knew that Teach for America adds something to your program, um, but it was humbling. I mean, this whole weekend, I was just like, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. And That's it. And just to, just to come behind her, like, it was, that was so encouraging to hear because um, from Jen and, um, and just a blessing because what some of the other things that, like she said, these were, biblical scholars you know one who answered the one who answered Jay's question 
This is a man that has played professional football, has three master's degrees, seminary, uh, regular college, and to hear, he says, he says, he said this, and this is what really, really just hit me hard. He said, I, my white brothers and sisters have, can exist from a reform standpoint and a biblical standpoint and just exist in life. And we, we play, and, and us as blacks, we have to survive. And the reason we survive is because you, the, our white brothers and sisters can exist, but we are always impacted by something. So because of an impact, we have to learn to, to survive because of the impact. So it was, so he said, I'm a man that has gone to school for many years, got three master's degrees, but he says a police officer pulls me over and puts a gun to my head and tell my wife, because my wife is Portuguese, She's white. She's white. This is white. He says, my, because my wife is white, they put a gun to my head and I asked my wife, are you being held against your will? And he said, it's happened more than once, twice. He says, if, if that's happening to me, he says, my brothers that walk around like. He, he, said, he said, Pookie don't he got He said, no Pookie ain't got no chance. Daddy ain't got no chance. And it was it was it was funny, but it was very impacting because that is so real. And um, can, can can I talk? Can I, go ahead. Yeah. Like so, what's being saying that in 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 that statement that Phil is hitting right there is that if we're sitting in the room together, and your neighbor that's next to you lives a completely different existence than you, but we keep saying we're for the same God and born of the same spirit and regenerated the same, but we won't have that conversation. By nature, we're going to betray each other because, you know, um, Byron and Danny sitting right here, Byron's going to go home to a completely different existence. You get where I'm coming from? And so when the Bible calls us to love each other in the show and that we're going to confound the world by when they see how we love each other, it's not loving if we're not having this conversation. And then one of the things we really got into also is that how... Um, African-Americans are dehumanized in this country. So when we have the conversation, a lot of times we don't feel that we have credibility to even say we're hurting because we're just simply not believed for anything. Or it's like the response is like, prove it. Like, what do you mean? Well, don't you feel like you did this to yourself? Well, isn't this ha all these different things? But it's like, well, dag, almost every black person is saying the same thing is happening to them. So it's like, as the here's the thing the world is the world but we're the church we're actually pulled out of the world into a whole nother system of living and so functionally it's supposed to glorify god so when we are up here and you kind of hear what we're saying we're not talking about just oh we're mad over racial issues we're mad because the gospel of jesus christ is being perverted in the church by our hard unrepentant hearts you get where I'm coming from? And so here's the thing. I could just go live in black church land, but that ends up in, in, in if we are not, even in, in a black church, like these gentlemen that were on this panel, black pastors, but still fighting for this conversation even within a, a bl all black context. That's a response, re that is a, a honorable response, right? And that's not, that by all means is not the entire black church. So we're not trying to, 
lift black church up on a pedestal by any means. Because a lot of us know from firsthand experience, this conversation doesn't happen in the black church a lot of times. You just fade the blackness and we're going to create a black heaven because we've been rejected over here. And it makes sense in some sense, but, it, but it's still carnal. It's still not what God is actually painting. And so I think one of the biggest things in this conversation is that I would hope that people would take away is the responsibility we have as believers. This is not a responsibility for pastors and leaders and everything. It's a responsibility for anybody who claims the name of Christ to protect the gospel and what the gospel looks like in community, what it looks like across racial lines where the lines end up become, but this is what we need to know. It's not about us just coming together to sing Kumbaya together. What this looks like is a reconciliation process that's true. So the black, one of the statements they said is that the black church and the white church and any other color that goes in the middle of that, the, the, the division needs to be replaced by a reconciliation process. That's what the fix looks like because we do need to realize that something has been broken. And in the midst of it being broken, there is an impact that has been had um, in the midst of, like, you know, one of the things we're talking about, like when Jen was saying it, is that when she was talking about what she was learning was in the, in the area of you being blind about something, there has been an impact on the flipping. And so you have to go research it and go, there might be some things I need to repent of. You know, so if my wife is saying, yo, you have a problem with your temper, Jay, like the way you respond about stuff. Man, I'm glad you showed that to me, babe. But the, the fact of the matter is, there is probably a long history of hurt that I've actually inflicted on her in my blindness. You get where I'm coming from? And so one of the points they hit was that Zacchaeus um, standpoint. Anybody want to hit that? Man, man. Yeah. Um. Lois. Hit it, Lois. Um, they chant. Oh, they chant, Lois. They chant. Uh, but yeah, I really like the Zacchaeus uh, example, too. Basically, uh, if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus uh, is in the tree uh, trying to see Jesus, and Jesus is coming up, and uh, Jesus picks him out of everybody to go um, and basically fellowship with him, hang out with him. Uh, and Zacchaeus begins to tell Jesus that he has robbed people, uh, robbed people. And he says his response was to go pay them back, but not only pay them back, but pay them uh, four times what he actually stole from them. Uh, and then he went, I think, on and, and sold his goods. And so he wasn't just saying he was sorry for what he did, is what the speaker talked about on the panel. He didn't just say he was sorry for what he did and say, sorry, I robbed you, man. Uh, he said, I'm sorry, and not only am I going to pay you back, I'm going to pay you back uh, four times what I uh, took from you because I know how damaging it was for me to rob you. Uh, and he said, in our church a lot of times, um, that's not the response of the white church, our, our white brothers and sisters. We don't think about the idea that our black brothers and sisters, especially black Christians, have been robbed from the church and been hurt by the church. And we think, I'm just going to tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel hurt and then keep moving. And biblically, there's a pain back. Uh, and and the joke was made. Somebody's like, so should I? What should I do? Give somebody like money out my paycheck? And the speaker said, maybe. Uh, and he's like, maybe. That may be the proper response to start giving your own money uh, to people who have been marginalized. He said that may be the response. Uh, and so I think that was powerful. He said, he said, one of the ways in in doing that is leveraging your white privilege. Mm. 
he said, that's very important. He said, if, you know, just to keep it 100, that's what he said. He said, leverage it. Leverage your white privilege. There are so many ministries. There are so many churches that are trying to do what we can do, that need resources, that need time, that need money, that need efforts put forth. Leverage your white privilege to be a blessing, to be a, a, a part of partnering to push forth the gospel, this gospel that reconciles black and white, reconciles all races. And that was a part of the whole Zacchaeus story. Yeah, you know, and, and here's the thing. Our church is actually a result of churches actually doing exactly what you're saying because we are supported by other churches, and I've had uh, other white pastors tell me straight up, homie, we can't get to the hood with you, brother, but we got some paper over here, and we're going to send it your way and help you do what you need to do. And I respect that by all means because they're hitting it from a very sobering standpoint. It's not like, oh, we're just going to, we're trying to do our good works, but they're actually like, I get what's going on, and I get that. Um, you have a specific mission you're called to, and the way we're able to actually help and actually pour into this is through this way right here. And so I respect that a whole lot, but I think that that conversation was so significant because one of the things they said was reconciliation is more than just a pat on the back. It's a process. It's a new space that we need to learn to live in as Christians. Um, but to do it, we have to look history in the face, we have to be. Um, we have to deal with our hard hearts that um, doesn't esteem other people more than ourselves. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. The people he was hurting, he actually esteemed them higher than themselves. So he had a very sober response on what reconciliation and healing looked like. Um, a lot of times, I think this conversation is hard to be had because some people in the conversation don't even fully see the other people there that's in front of them as human. And that sounds horrible. I know that sounds horrible to say that, but history has been horrible. There was a time in this country where black people, when they voted, they couldn't be considered a whole entire human being, right? That's our history. Nobody's ever went to repent for that being the case. Nobody's went back and undone that to fix that. We just kept on moving, and these ideas and these things were, have been perpetuated, and they've been put in our heart. And we're unconscious about them, but they come out in relationally, which is why there's a 2.5% diverse church. That's why, that's why the statistics are so overwhelmingly split in half. And so we look at this stuff and we go, how we get here? Look at history. Because what gets really insulting is when people take a seat and they come to the resolve of going, hey, I guess, I guess these people in my community are lagging behind because... They're, I guess maybe they're just, you know, they're, they're slower, they're this and that. That's racism at its finest. What it call, if we're going to dignify each other as being made in the image of God, it means when you see somebody else lagging behind, you need to go find out the story. Something's wrong here. Maybe it's because all of the F schools are sitting inside of minority communities. Maybe it's because of white flight where everybody takes off because a black person moves in the community. And now we give less, less tax money to that side of town. And then all the F schools come. And then when we think the side of town is cute again, we'll all move back and come up with a bunch of grants to help people build these houses nice and beautiful and then get all the black folks out of it and take their school and send you to whatever hood or project you can live in, and then we'll sit and comment on your action news talking about the animals across town. That's been the narrative in our country. 
That, I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm saying that the gospel lets us walk in the light. And while everybody's being dizzy about these conversations, we get to walk into it and be sober and real and alert in it and go, this is what happened. And this is the gospel response. This is how we are going to actually live into this and lavish it with the love of God. And this is how we're going to actually repent by confessing when it shows up in us. Because we'd be crazy to think that we've been, we've all come up in this nation and don't share racism in our heart. We'd be foolish to think that. To think that we've just sat and coasted through this horrible, broken narrative and think that it never just touched us or landed on us. Right? I always tell y'all, when you're looking for your enemy, make sure you put yourself first on the list. In this conversation, you are guilty. You do have blood on your hands. But don't live there. The blood of Christ washes you and cleanses you so you're able to step into the conversation and be responsible with on how we build and how we take it to the next step so, hold on Lana, i'm sorry babe. i mean talk so much i'm sorry that's that's the shut up face she's giving me right there i'm sorry um yeah you know like even what you guys are saying because I, I feel like the general response from well kind of like a oreo up here but the general response from the black people from the conference has been, uh, been like, what? <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. Uh, anyway. He's just been on a roll all this week. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, has been like confirmation. Like, I'm talking with Jay and some of the other people up here. It's been really confirmation, like, that they're not crazy. And then... For like me and Jen, it's been more of um, humility in the form of almost humiliation, because it's like, you know, like I don't know if y'all know this, I'm a recovering racist, and I'm still recovering, and uh, basically, you know, talking about credibility for Black people, my whole thought going in this conference was, I don't know, it's probably not gonna be that good of a conference. Why do I think that? There's racism inside of me. And it's tied to the fact it's like, yeah, I don't know. And just to be completely smacked down, like, that the conference was so amazing and so, quote, credible, um, that it was, it was really, really humbling and really showed where my heart's actually at. Um, <clears throat> you know, something else I wanted to note about the conference that I really liked was uh, when I try to understand, like, Paul talks about this concept a lot, like joy and suffering, and it's really hard for me to, like, try to really understand what that actually means. How can you be actually joyous in suffering? And um, one of the most tangible ways I see this played out, did you have something? Uh, sass you, I'm sorry. Okay. Forgive me. Forgiven. Uh, one of the ways that this actually plays out is in the African-American worship experience, because I mean, I think one of the greatest ironies there is in America is that black and brown people are way more free than white people, even though systematically they're not. And they express it in worship. So at this conference, we're talking like a thousand people, and they were, they were hitting these songs. And I'm like, man, I've never been in a worship setting like this. And it wasn't, it wasn't the lasers or the LED lights. The or fog. the foggy smoke. Um, none of that. It was none of that. Piano. It was someone literally on a piano. That's it. And then everyone singing at the top of their lungs. Like, it was amazing. And then when the song ends, 
you know, white people, we golf clap. But then the black people are like, like, we do that. like, you know, they're going hard. And then when we're going to the next song, I mean, it's, we're going. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I, maybe I have a little black person in my soul because I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this worship right now. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, the, like, piggyback off that, it was so cool because the, the conference, like, they had a lot to talk about. And it was so timed. Like, we had to get through all these uh, things. And so... Uh, the, one of the morning worships where that happened, um, it was so cool. We were talking about this, like, it was such a hard conversation. Like, the things we're there talking about, and everybody kept talking about it, even during the breaks, it was really tough. And it was it was sad. It was grievous because this was the situation of the church. But then when worship started, it was so much joy. Mm. And it got to the point where the speaker, they did two songs. The speaker tried to come on uh, and start trying to go. And everybody just kept clapping. They clapped them off. They just clapped yeah, they them off. They never stopped clapping. To the point where the speaker said, okay. And he left the stage and had the piano uh, uh, the piano guy come back up. And they just started worship again. Because people were not going to stop worshiping. Uh, and it was so beautiful that there was a demand to worship. And we're going to do this. Um, uh, and so it was, it was beautiful. I, I, Jay said something when we were like processing it later in the driveway. Like... You know, we're like, man, that should be every Sunday. You know, there's something to me about singing an old hymn that the saints before us have sung. And you're like, they're still in heaven. We're doing it at the same time. Ashley knows what we're talking about. <laughs> All right. And you're acapella, so you hear each other. You're like, yes, we're singing in unison. But Jay, Jay brought it deeper. He's like, I think it had a lot to do with the message because it was just so, it was, it was all about sacrifice, how God calls us to sacrifice, what that means when we see someone suffering, what that means when we have blood in our hands as white privilege and where we have all these extra funds, like what are we entitled to do and how is it not offensive to not do it? It's just like it's calling the black men in the room and the white men in the room to repent and to give up of themselves. And that's what the gospel is. It's like that's what, it, that what, that's what pours out of us. And Jay's like, that's why we're worshiping because we're called to be who we truly are in our identity of Christ. Give out because you have been given too. And I thought something I reflected on in my experience of the white church and worship which is there, it's just bad to make generalizations. So I don't want to do that because I am one white person in one small little aspect. But in a lot of the churches I've been to, worship is very reserved. And there is something to be said about the comfort of the white experience in, at large. And standing from an outside perspective, looking at the black experience, let's say particularly this weekend, they can't talk about the gospel and not have to go live it out in a second when they leave their church. They, like the white people, we can go back and we can like, you know, clean our room the right way. Everything's comfortable because we aren't being like our actual daily able to be living isn't being like taken from us or being tried to be taken from us. But the black experience, like Jalen was talking about someone at her work, I mean, you're, you're being told to love, you're being told about long suffering, you're being told about patience, you're being told about justice, and you're walking out and in five minutes it's being pushed in your face and you're having to live it out. And there's something about that and the beauty it creates in the hearts of those who have to actually listen to the sermon and think, this isn't just a sermon. I have to go out and live this in love every moment of my day because I'm being challenged to not actually love in the trueness of the gospel because it's, it's harder than just being like, hey, what's up? And, and that to me is, is, was a beauty to watch a lot of my black brothers and sisters worship. And it was like, man, I bet I'd worship a lot more harder 
if I actually had to live out what I'm living, like what I'm being taught in a service and not just like, all right, you know, I'm going to sing a song because I love God. It was like, no, I actually have to live out what I've just been taught in five seconds or I'm going to be judged. I'm, things are going to be taken for, from me or I'm just going to live in hate. I'm going to live in hate. Jesus. I thought. Jen, you need an organ right now. I want to shout. Jesus. That's good stuff. We'll right all agree. There. Jen's woke. Yes. She, she woke up. I've been woke. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so we're going to close this down. Any, any closing comments you want to give to the church? I want to give a closing comment. Oh, okay, yeah. So I want to say uh, what really blessed me, and I think it will bless all of us, is that one of the core uh, key to, okay, one of the uh, core keys to uh, one of the conversations about God, the gospel and the mission of the church um, is uh, one of the pastors said that um, we kind of got it wrong. You say the church, we've been saying for so many years that the church has a mission. And he said, the church doesn't have a mission. He said, God had a mission. And that's why he formed the church. He said, if we look at it like that, we would, see, if we look at it that way, we wouldn't have all these different denominations. And then we wouldn't have the church making the standard for what God requires. And he said, that's why we're in this predicament that we're in. Say God had a mission, and that's why he formed people from all cultures and all across the world, which is his church. So he said if we continue to think about it that way, we'll get a different perspective of our brothers and sisters, regardless of what race and what culture they come from. And, and he said that as saying having a biblical worldview instead of just a biblical knowledge. And he mentioned one thing when he was um, talking, he said, you know, everybody is fighting to make a name for themselves, a name for their group, their group having their own agenda. But the agenda is still Christ. And that's what our agenda is supposed to be as a body. I'm sorry, I might be. Oh, I think for my white brothers and sisters, what I challenge us to is something that they were talking about at the conference is you're, you're loving your neighbor and who is your neighbor because we're on social media and I'm upset for things that are happening in Sudan and I'm upset for things that are happening in France and I'm, hap I'm upset with things that are happening in Syria. Like how do I love, how, how do I fight for justice when everything's in front of me? But it's different if you're living in America and you're white. And I think you have to, if you're sitting in this church and you're kind of looking at this conversation, like this might be too political. I think you have to ask yourself, does Christ call us to love justice. You should listen to some of the panels we listened to this weekend. It's yes. And what does that mean? Who is our brother and our sister? If you're living in America, you need to research racial history in our country. And you need to, re if you come to the realization that standing as a white person, just sitting down means there are blood, is blood on your hands. That being in a white, in a white area where you don't, you know, three black people, you haven't really had that much experience. You don't know what's going on. This isn't your thing. Just being in that area, never having a conversation about race in your life, that there's blood on your hands, that then all of a sudden justice is on your doorstep. And then, then, then it's looking like not the gospel if you're not fighting to, to, to right the wrong. That's why it's, it's different than our friends and our brothers and sisters in Syria. I'm not throwing bombs, are we? Actually, that's another conversation. But to me, if you're a white person in America, then you need to be looking and actually asking questions. And if you aren't talking to your black brothers and sisters, you're not asking the right ones, you're not asking the right people, but you need to be asking yourself, why would I tell you right now that there's blood in your hands, and even if you've never had a racial comment in your life? And then all of a sudden, I think 
justice is at your doorstep and it's in your room and it's in your bed when you go to sleep. And all of a sudden you need to be maybe having a conversation that's a little bit deeper than just being like, oh, I love, I love black people. I think it's different. So that, that would be my call to white people who especially go to this church and are trying to live in this, in this aspect. Yeah, one of the things I would just add really quickly is that I just want everybody to understand really quickly, like when you look at the old, um, when you look at the um, New Testament church when it started, it talks about how they had all things common. Um, they, they were so together, it just almost looked like they turned into the same people, right? Even though we know it was, you know, people from different um, ethnicities and everything else or whatever. And so in this conversation with Jen, like as she was working through some of the stuff from the, um, you know, in response or whatever to the, uh, to the conference, there was just a tremendous amount of unity as we all spoke because there was credibility for our stories to be real, right? Like Jen and Jeremy have an experience coming from white culture that I need to give credibility in the conversation. I need to have mercy and grace to it. But on the flip side, I need the dignity of when I tell my story, my experience, that it's being heard also. And so when the Bible talks us, talks about us having all things in common, um, I think that that is even in our pain and in our suffering, right? Like, I'm not mad because somebody lives in a different context and or whatever that case may be, whether it's they're poor, rich, or anything. I think a lot of the pain and the hurt comes when we don't give credibility to each other's experience. And I think the blood of Jesus Christ, um, the fact that we're all being saved and that um, these debts that we have before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords are being removed, we can't walk around holding other people's debts against them. Um, and we can't walk around when you when you're when you won't dignify somebody's story as true, you're holding the debt of them of making them be a liar against them. And that breaks brotherhood and sisterhood that we're called to in the body of Christ. So a powerful church that is giving God glory is going to look like people who give credibility to each other's story. You know, just to give you an example, when we talk about, I talk to a lot of young gentlemen that are considered to be at risk. They go through a lot of stuff or whatever, right? And they have a lot of interactions with police officers that are not favorable. I give their stories credibility. But I also know some police officers that put their life on the line every single day. And they're like, homie, I don't operate like that. I do justice, and, and it is what it is. They deserve credibility in that story, too. And then we have to find a common denominator in the middle of that, but we don't want to disregard both sides because then we can't find justice. Somebody's going to lose out in that story. And that's where the anger and tension, um, um, tension lies at. Maybe that's how the world operates, but in the church, God forbid, that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, so I just want to urge you to have um, really honest and really truthful conversations, even if they hurt. A lot of times we run from them because they hurt a bit or they're hard. Guess what? The church is called to do hard things. It just is what it is. Accept that as your identity and go ahead and plow in because God's grace and his mercy is sufficient. He will empower you to get through it and we'll be better afterwards. And his glory will be revealed in a beautiful way. So I just want to encourage us to be brave and and, and I just I appreciate everybody up here just even being honest about where they're at. It doesn't have to be all perfect and all on point and said the right way. Um, we're working towards honest conversation as the church. And where else are you supposed to be having it more than the church? I hope you all agree with that. So.
Thanks for listening to the Veal Radio Show. Make sure you like our Facebook page at the Veal Radio Show and look out for our podcast coming on SoundCloud soon. Yes.